Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the You Can Do It Too podcast by Mamba Inspire. I am Mamadou Balde, I'm your host. The purpose of this podcast is to both showcase black excellence and increase awareness of the multitude of career possibilities out there for up-and-coming black professionals. This podcast will assist in breaking stigmas, barriers, and helping black students believe that they are smart enough to be future doctors, engineers, educators, and entrepreneurs. What an amazing day, ladies and gentlemen. We have an amazing guest with us today, Dr. Ogondele. She is a resident physician in anesthesiology at the University of Maryland Medical Center. She did her undergrad at Brown University, where she was a member of AKA, and she went to medical school at Howard Medical School. I came in thinking that I wanted to go into surgery. I really like, um, you know, being able to use my hands, um, kind of like the idea of, you know, technical skills and things of that nature. Um, I was always sort of told that I had a surgical specialty, you know, take that, <laughs> wow. take that as you will, or excuse me, a, a, a surgical personality rather. Um, and so I came in wanting to do surgery. Um, but then I kind of realized that the lifestyle wasn't something that I felt was matched my interest in it. Um, And so for a while, I thought that I might go into internal medicine and probably do some special, you know, subspecialty training and maybe like gastroenterology. Again, something that could could be a little bit hands-on. But internal medicine just didn't seem like something I wanted to do um, either. And so my third year, uh, the last half of my third year, I kind of sat down with an anesthesiologist by accident a little bit. Uh, at a at a career fair and he just told me all the amazing things about anesthesiology and in the back of my mind I'm thinking wow this is this is what I pictured when I wanted to be a doctor right wow um everything from the actual work that I would be doing to the work-life balance to the um you know the the hands-on nature of anesthesiology it just it, it just fit perfectly um, so, you know, I kind of made the decision a few weeks after that, and I guess the rest wow. is history. Wow, there's that myth that many people think that anesthesiology is not more, is not hands-on. Uh, talk about that, that hands-on uh, part, because I know uh, without an anesthesiology, there's no surgery, right? Without yeah. an anesthesiologist, there's no surgery. Can you talk about that hands-on, like what, what kind of hands-on stuff that you do as an anesthesiologist? I, I mean, that's a great question. So a lot of things that essentially patients need to be able to survive a surgery or any procedure needs to be sort of accommodated um, or facilitated by the anesthesiologist. So whether that's being intubated for the procedure because they need to be under general anesthesia or they're having a C-section and they need to have an epidural or a spinal place for them to be awake while they're doing that C-section to being able to put in uh, uh, venous access Um, for major procedures like cardiac procedures. Uh, It gets very hands-on. There's not a single day in anesthesiology where you are not doing multiple procedures at a time, even if it's as simple as putting in an IV that no one else can place. Um, So it's it's absolutely definitely very hands-on. And yeah, I I love it for that reason. 
Definitely, definitely. And I feel like many people do not understand the fact that about 50 years ago, uh, there was no, like, I, in terms of people sleeping during surgery, people not feeling it, maybe not 50, maybe a little bit more than that, but yeah. it's, the job of an anesthesiologist is very important. They make sure that the patient is sleeping, right, through surgery and, and many other things. But the main part is just the fact that now, right, you can undergo through surgery and uh, don't feel anything and still be able to get out of the hospital and go home. Uh, without having to stay days just for somebody to watch your pain. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, you know, as you mentioned, most people can't tolerate the type of procedures that they need um, and be fully awake um, and not have appropriate pain management, not be appropriately sedated. So that's one aspect. But another way that anesthesiology is sort of um, forgotten, but one of the most important parts of what we do is optimizing patients for surgery. Wow. Again, when I say the anesthesiologist is responsible for making sure that someone survives a surgery. So if someone is just, you know, not a, a great surgical candidate, that means they have some medical conditions that have not been addressed, medical conditions that could be or could prove deadly in an operative or an intraoperative situation. The anesthesiologist is really there to pick up on those discrepancies in the medical chart and make sure that you know, that patient gets that stress test before they go under the knife, um, that that patient, you know, um, sees the right doctor, gets their diabetes under control. And the whole idea is that they just minimize their risk of having poor outcomes during the operation and then after the operation too. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's definitely a full service specialty. Uh, we're seeing patients before they go under the knife, we're there the whole time while they're having surgery, and then we'll see them afterwards and we'll do things to make sure that their recovery is optimized as well. That is amazing. That is amazing. And you mentioned two things earlier that still uh, stuck in my hand about, uh, you say when you were younger, uh, people saw you as that, that personality of a surgeon, mm -hmm. right? Uh, what, what's that personality? Because I've heard that a lot. They say, oh yeah. <laughs> You, you, you shouldn't be a surgeon because you don't have the personality and they tell other people, oh yeah, you should be a surgeon. But I feel like there's misunderstanding there. What, what was that personality that people recognize in you and believe that you should have been a surgeon? Wow, I mean, that's a good question. Now I kind of wish I hadn't mentioned it. <laughs> I don't want to offend any of my surgical colleagues, but essentially, and I'll, I'll use the term very broadly. It's not just people that want to go into surgery, but it's people that tend to get a lot of gratification from being able to do and fix, mm. right? And so a lot of surgeons, anyone that does procedural work um, as a physician, they like to see a problem, figure out a procedure um, to fix that problem. And hopefully by the time they've done their intervention, the problem is fixed or on its way to being fixed. Um, it's not like non-surgical specialties where there's a lot of a, 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 a clinical relationship that builds between the clinician and the patient where they come to you with an issue and you say, okay, let's try this, come back and see me, see how it works, and, you know, back and forth until you come up with a plan. Um, I, I would imagine that when people, you know, said that I had a surgical personality, that's what they probably meant, um, yeah. that I, I, I tend to be a fixer. You know, I, I, I kind of want um, uh, things to be orderly, things to be very uh, straightforward, um, very detail-oriented. Um, 
very picky, nitpicky, you know, those sort of things. <laughs> to a degree, yeah. all doctors fall under those things, you know, because we, we couldn't really do our jobs without being a little bit unyielding in our yeah. expectations of ourselves and in the work that we do. Um, I guess people that work in an operative environment or in critical care, period, yeah. um, have that a little bit more, maybe to a, to a, to a more obvious degree. Yeah. To be honest, as you're speaking uh, about that, I was thinking about my father, who's a surgeon. And uh, <laughs> yes, he's, uh, he's very detail-oriented, right? Making sure that it's not just about uh, uh, getting, the, getting, getting to the solution, but how making sure that you are getting to the solution the right way, right? Making sure yeah. that uh, you get to not just 80% of the solution, but to 100% of the solution. Yeah, another thing that you mentioned about... Uh, about uh, the trade-off between uh, surgery and uh, other things, uh, other other specialties, uh, you said that it. May, I mean, it's it's known that many surgeons have a very difficult uh, work-life balance, right? They, it's very it's very uh, focused. You know, they just want to be cutting, being in the in the hospital and that. Uh, can you talk about that uh, that a little bit? Just the that difference of work like how, how intensive is the work-life balance uh, for surgeons from what you know um i mean from what i know uh surgery is is a specialty that requires a certain continuity of care that is not always required in anesthesiology so you know great example someone is doing a surgery most of the time, the same surgical team that started the procedure is ending the procedure because they alone kind of know exactly what they were going to do and what they were aiming for. They start a project and they finish the project, right? Yeah. Um, anesthesiology is not so much like that. It's, it's, it's absolutely normal and very typical for someone to come in and give me a break as I'm doing anesthesiology, you know, doing the, in, in, um, doing the anesthesia for a procedure. Right, and so if I if I give them an appropriate handoff, so we uh, so we say you know basically like a rundown of what's happening in the case, who the patient is, what I'm you know what the overall how the case is going overall, they can sort of stand in for me, right? I can you know go grab a bite to eat, you know clear my mind for a little bit, um, and then come back and pick up where I left off. That doesn't necessarily happen with a surgical yeah. team. I've been in procedures where, you know, part of me is thinking like, man, did, did they go to the bathroom all day? Did they really just, you know, stand there doing, <laughs> doing this surgery this whole time? Like, oh my goodness, wow. you know? Um, and so, yeah, there's definitely, that's just one example, um, at least from what I can tell from the other side of the curtain about the, the dedication and, and work that my surgical colleagues put in, you know, every, every single day. Um, and fortunately, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, depending on the type of surgical subspecialty you go into, you can create a great work-life balance that suits you and, you know, suits your priorities. Uh, but typically when you're training, it's, it's probably not going to be very easy. Um, wow. it's going to be a lot of work and a, a little less play. Wow. Yeah. That's great. That's great. No, definitely. You're right. And as I told you, right, uh, I know I sent you some cautions, but it definitely goes. Uh, I, I think the first ones that you brought up was very interesting and we have to dig in a little bit into that. But uh, going back a little bit to the beginning, where did you grow up? 
Oh, okay. Good, good question. Um, so I was born in Nigeria, in Lagos, Nigeria, and yeah. I moved to Reno, Nevada when I was wow. old. Um, wow. That's my a dad, big change. Huh? That's a big change. Yeah, big change. But, you know, I don't know that a four-year-old really notices. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least I don't remember noticing, you know, too much um, or being particularly traumatized by that massive change. Um, but yeah, my dad had studied, um, you know, got, uh, gotten his degree from the University of Nevada. And so we ended up moving there. Um, and so I grew up in a relatively, you know, small, um, small town. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's where I grew up. Wow. You do remember Nigeria at all? Have you ever gone back? Um, I mean, my memories of, of, uh, living there before coming to the U S are probably all gone, but fortunately I still have a lot of friends and family, uh, that live there. And so I go back pretty frequently. I was just back in March actually before the coronavirus, uh, kind of, kind of hit and everyone went into hiding. So, so yeah, I I still get to go pretty frequently. That's good. That's good. Definitely. I have a lot of friends who are from there and that COVID-19 just happened and you had to figure out where's the best place to stay. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was pretty wild. Took us definitely by surprise, but uh, fortunately everything worked out. No, definitely. And 2020 has definitely been a a crazy year. How, how's your family and uh, your extended family, how are they doing in in these times? Well, uh, thanks for asking, you know, Glory be to God, everyone is doing really well. Um, you know, everyone is social distancing. Everyone, uh, you know, no one lost their job that I know of. Everyone, everyone's healthy, you know, taken care of, um, still enjoying life, um, this new normal. And so, yeah, I'm definitely great, very grateful. Even in Nigeria, you know, I don't know if you've been following sort of the numbers um, in Africa as, as a whole, but they're they're opening back up. I'm seeing weddings on uh, Bella Nija and you know on Instagram <laughs> and things like that. So I I don't know. Seems people seem to be doing really well. Yeah, I saw that. And uh, on one side, I'm like, yeah, that's great. And on the other side, I'm also because from history, I know uh, many things like the hide cases, right? Uh, not all the cases are being counted. Because uh, I'm from uh, Guinea, and I grew up there until age of 12. And my, my father right now, he's there. Uh, he's okay. in Guinea. He works there. And the, they don't count, uh, like, correctly. All, everything has happened. They don't keep up with everything. So I'm not sure how that affects uh, the numbers. Yeah. Another, thing, another thing also, I think the fact that, uh, for example, I did not hear about any allergies until I came to the U.S., right i feel like we have a stronger immune system uh doesn't mean that we are uh, very prone not to have covid19 definitely gonna get covid but i think we have a stronger immune system uh, than the normal person yeah yeah i mean i think there's definitely some theories as to why the covid uh the coronavirus doesn't seem to thrive um, in like temperate regions, like, like, uh, you know, central Africa and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, they don't call it novel for nothing. I'm sure there's going to be so many things that we'll learn about the virus in the coming years. Um, Definitely. Hopefully it'll all make sense at some point. Definitely. So growing up in a small city in Nevada, uh, with your parents, how, what was the family atmosphere like? How, how did they, how, 
how did they brought you up? Uh, I know you had the Niger, I mean, they had the Nigerian culture and uh, you grew up in America. How did they balance uh, those two cultures and uh, during your childhood? Yeah, I mean, I think my parents did a great job in, you know, uh, sort of allowing us to explore the, you know, facets of American culture. Um, but still frequently, and maybe you might be able to, to relate to this, kind of reminding us that we were Nigerians and that certain things would never, no, no. never really be for us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I remember like really wanting to do sleepovers, you know, with my classmates and things like that. And, you know, that was just, that was just a, a no, a no go. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they, they taught us to, you know, have respect for our elders, have respect for family, um, to be disciplined, to focus on school. Um, you know, getting in trouble was, was, was just not allowed, especially if it was academic trouble. Um, and so, yeah, there, there was definitely a wonderful structure um, that my parents, you know, put around us, um, even just a spiritual structure as far as uh, going to church and um, things of that nature. I'll also say that I don't know if it's just because I tended to be kind of independent as a kid, mm -hmm. um, but there wasn't a strong sort of stereotypical African uh, pressure to succeed professionally. You know, my parents never told me to be a doctor or anything in particular. I can't remember them ever telling me to pursue any particular career. Um, I remember when I was in elementary school, you know, I would get my, like, I cared more about my, my report card um, than I think they did. <laughs> I think as long as they knew that I was doing okay, you know, they, they were fine with it. But I was the one that was obsessed <laughs> with what, what grades that they wrote on the paper. And I think they kind of saw that and realized, like, oh, okay, we'll just, <laughs> we'll just let you, you know, do what you're doing because you, you, you seem to be doing all right. Um, wow. So yeah, there was definitely maybe a little bit more freedom than I think some stereotypical African households might see, but there's definitely some structure. It was a great mix. Wow, wow. Yeah, I actually resonate with you because I feel like, uh, so I left my, uh, I left Guinea when I was uh, 12, 13 and, and came and stayed with my uncle. My uncle is a very similar person uh, as my father, but I also uh, do not remember when they told me, oh, you need to do amazing in school and stuff like that. I, I only feel like this, the way they give us prayers motivate us uh, a little bit harder to, to, to go and uh, try to be the best. Because when you bring in a 95 uh, in, in <laughs> a 95 report card and they see that, it's not like they're going to say, oh, this is bad. You need to go get 100 and stuff like that. They just don't say great job. They just don't like uh, give you all the happiness and stuff like that. And I feel like that motivates us to go and get. Yeah, <laughs> it's like this tempered, like no, that I, I feel you on that. That's absolutely true. Yeah, absolutely. Not, they were never too hype about me. Like my classmates were getting paid for their grades. <laughs> yeah. No, not in my household. <laughs> yeah, our, our incentive, I feel like, was to get uh, to get some kind of approval from our parents. We just yeah. wanted that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely yeah. to some extent, for sure. When did that medical school started irking in your heart? Oh, wow. It was early. I don't even know who injected it into me. Um, I was probably about five or six. Wow. 
Um, I remember my mom was pregnant with my, my younger brother and I don't know why we had a stethoscope in the house. <laughs> I really had no idea why we had a stethoscope. But I would sit there and pretend to listen to baby's heartbeat. And, you know, I loved going to the pediatrician because I would just take the, the gloves out and pretend I was doing my own little procedures and, and things like that. Uh, so yeah, it was early. Um, yeah, and it just kind of never really went away. And I think going through school, being relatively um, good at school, no one ever told me that I shouldn't pursue medicine, right? Mm -hmm. Every, it, it, everyone just kind of said, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Go ahead. Yeah, you're good uh, at it. You yeah. should go. So it kind of it, it kind of just went from there. How did you feed that passion uh, as you were growing up? Because sometimes, I mean, the more exposure you get, you need to feed that passion to keep, to keep at it, to keep going. How do you feel like uh, you fed that passion? Um, wow, I mean, that's, that's, that's a great question. I think it's something that I probably, looking back, took for granted. Um, I remember I went to college and I, I came in with a lot of people that were pre-med. Um, and one, you know, one by one, they all kind of realize it's not for them. You know, maybe they, one class doesn't go so well and they realize like, oh, I must not be meant for medicine. I definitely had some academic blunders. It never once occurred to me to not still apply to medical school, right? Wow. It, it, it's, it's something that I just thought was for me. Um, yeah. And I definitely took it for granted. And I think even in those moments where, you know, I kind of realized that, okay, this may not put this, this isn't necessarily a competitive score for entry or, you know, this grade doesn't look so good on your, on your GPA, I kind of kept going back to, you know, kind of where the desire came from in the first place. And I had no choice but to, you know, resign myself to believe that it was just a God-given desire, right? Like, it would have been wonderful if I had just wanted to be something that wouldn't take, you know, take my my 20s to complete, you know, take hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. It would have been wonderful to like go to college and enjoy college and then find a great job and, you know, start building, uh, you know, a life right after that. Um, but for some reason, that's just not the, the, the course that was, you know, put in my heart. And so, you know, I kind of challenged God that, hey, if you put this desire in me, you better, you better open You'll some get more. It. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and that's kind of how it worked. It never really occurred to me to, to do something else. Yeah, no, that is definitely great. And I feel like uh, usually with experiences, God, I, I'll just say God help put things in our heart, right? And sometimes the way society is, uh, it discourages us to follow uh, what's in our heart and, and to go and do what society tells us to do. But sometimes you just need to follow your heart, even though it's you the only person who believes in it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And for, you know, careers like medicine, it's, it's going to be hard to find it fulfilling if you if you don't approach it with that type of uh, <laughs> tenacity and, and defiance. Definitely. So talking about undergrad, uh, you went to Brown University, right, for undergrad. Yeah. And I know Brown University is a PWI uh, school. What was that like, uh, just the beginning? How, how, uh, how did you adapt? Did you feel like any imposter syndrome? Oh, wow. I mean, that, that, that's a great question. So one, I grew up in Reno, so I was not... Um, it wasn't new to me to be in a PWI 
uh, you know, type of environment. Um, by the time I got to Brown, I, you know, Brown actually has a very thriving black community. Obviously it's small. Um, I wanna say it's probably like 6%. When I was there, about 6% of the student body was, was black. But you know, it doesn't take very long to, to see somebody that looks like you and then to start hanging out and then you invite somebody else that looks like you. And before you know it, you kind of just have a community. Um, yeah. And so, you know, for my first few days on campus, like I, I, I just kind of got a part of that community and, and, and that was my circle for wow. you know, those four years. And so, um, yeah, there was, there was never a sense that, oh, we, we need to compete with, um, you know, the white students here or anything like that. I'll say going to Brown specifically opened my eyes a lot to, you know, other people's circumstances. Like mm -hmm. I had never been around, you know, kids of celebrities, right? Um, you know, like, you know, people whose parents like were CEOs of Fortune 500s and, wow. uh, you know what I mean? Just kind of, or like hearing about people that lived on the Upper East Side of, of uh, Manhattan. And, you know, you kind of see, you know, the outfit they're wearing, the bag they're carrying, and you just kind of think, huh, okay, that's, that's, that's kind of interesting, right? Or, wow. uh, you know, international students who are, <laughs> at least on that campus, were, you know, notoriously wealthy because their parents could afford to send them outside of the country just to go to college um, and to go to an Ivy League college at that. So, yeah, it was definitely like an eye-opening experience. But I think having, um, you know, my own support system within the campus um, of people that I, that I felt like got me it didn't intimidate me to be around, you know, things that may intimidate, you know, that, that couldn't intimidate me. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I think it was definitely a, an issue of um, finding a clique, finding people that, you know, have common goals and are supportive and things like that. So that, that wow. helped. I didn't find, I didn't find all of that in my research. <laughs> <laughs> Let me check out Brown. I didn't know yeah. all of Amazing, Man. amazing university. I, I loved it. I love Brown so much. Wow, that is amazing. Talking about finding your community, I know one thing I heard a lot is that many of my friends, uh, pe people that I know who grew up in a small city uh, who's uh, majority white, sometimes uh, as a younger person, as a, as, a, as a younger student in high school and middle school, you tend to, uh, you tend to not have a hard time finding your identity because many people want you to fill up so many uh, shoes, right? If you are the only black person in that classroom, they want you to take the role of all the black people that they want to know and stuff like that. I'm wondering how hard, uh, like, how hard was it for you to find your own identity at Brown? And also, uh, what was that process like? Were you excited to just be, okay, this is my community and uh, with all these people, I'll find who I am? I mean, I mean, it was definitely exciting. It was my first time being away from home and obviously, you know, full way across the country. I mean, I think being Nigerian in and of itself or, you know, just West African or just having a household where you know where you come from and you can always go back, you know? Um, I think that creates a an identity already from which you can kind of do everything else, right? It's not 
at least speaking for Nigerians, it's not unusual to meet a doctor and they tell you that they're Nigerian. It's not unusual to meet, you know, other Africans on Ivy League campuses and things like that. So mm -hmm. there wasn't a whole lot of like identity crises um, that went on, you know, and I think I'm just kind of fortunate in, in that way. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd yeah. also probably add that I'm just stubborn. <laughs> it was probably a little that, bit resistant required, to change. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely required for medical school. Let's talk about AKA. Oh, I saw okay. that. Okay. <laughs> I know that's the that's the most popular sorority right now. Uh, oh yes, 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 absolutely. Can't let you forget it. How did you, how were you introduced to AKA? What motivated you? What gave you that fire in your heart to say, this is, this is what I want to be? Oh, wow. Um, I don't know. It was probably, they probably threw one, one party or something at the beginning of the semester. And I just remember looking at the members and they were so just well-dressed and, you know, like everything was just so put together. They were There's so, flair. you know, they just had a flair, you know, just, yeah. just a flair to them. They were all, you know, academically gifted, like super professionally minded, um, you know, and I, I liked the idea that they were doing community service. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just, I, I just wanted to, you know, be a part of it. Yeah. Wow. In college, definitely one of the things that I enjoy at UT, even though I was always had to study for my chemical engineering classes, but whenever I get some time and go to the parties, just so amazing and beautiful to see them do their dances and just walking with confidence and yes. knowing that there's yes, goals. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So you decided to go to medical school at HU again, mm -hmm. again, mm -hmm. one of the most popular universities. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> You, yeah, so I'm sure you were very happy when you saw Kamala Harris winning that VP. Oh my gosh. I mean, we're all kind of standing right now, so. Talk about that. What does that mean to you as just a, not just an AKA or somebody went to HU, but as a black woman? I mean, we've known that we could be there like mm -hmm. the whole time, right? It was just everybody else didn't really believe us. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, I kind of just reading some excerpts from Michelle Obama's recent book, uh, you know, she mentioned about being at those tables, the quote unquote, those tables where decisions are made, where, you know, people are like big heads. Right. Mm -hmm. She said that one day she looked around and she was just like, these big heads really aren't that big. They're just normal <laughs> people, you know. Yeah. And I think, you know, especially as as minorities, whatever that means, whether it's racial minorities, ethnic minorities, or, you know, gender minorities, etc., you know, have this idea that we're not sitting at the table because there's something deficient in us. Um, and the truth is, no, it's, we just kind of need other people to uh, listen when we speak, right? Like, we have a voice. Um, we have the capabilities. But I mean, obviously seeing senator harris become president you know vice president elect harris is just a testament to that this woman's been doing the thing for the last 20 years Definitely. like it's it, it's not at all surprising if you go back you you know people will tell you when she was at howard they're like yeah i knew this woman had something in her right? she'd been around Mm -hmm. been, you know, she definitely been around and uh, I think many people did their research when they started hearing their name. But if you go back to those YouTube videos when she was putting uh, these white males uh, in front of just the Congress and just telling them like, 
and yeah. just cautioning them. Uh, you you can't see there was something in there. And as you said, sometimes uh, it, it takes like a miracle for for the people to to bring uh, people who deserve to be at that table right away. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And, and I feel like many many male uh, people many people do not know that it's a disadvantage for them to the world to society to let somebody who has the power to change things just outside that table you know yep yep absolutely absolutely so yeah all she needed was an open door because she had all the capability from from the beginning and i think it's a it's a wonderful example that people should pay attention to definitely definitely so you decided you went from a pwi to an hbcu and was that a, a on purpose, you going to Howard Medical? Did you tell yourself, okay, I want to experience the HB, HBCU life? Um, no, actually, not at all. Um, so, you know, honestly, by the time I had finished undergrad, my med school application was kind of like a hail mary, <laughs> and right. And um, you know, with medical school, depending on how things are, what your numbers look like, it's kind of you know, you get in where you get in. And yeah. Howard was where I got in, um, wow. you know, by God's grace. And it was amazing. I couldn't have asked for a better experience. Um, so every, everything worked out really, really well. Being at an HBCU, it felt a lot like Brown. It felt like my click at Brown, but it was the entire school this time. <laughs> <laughs> and I know for, you, you said from the beginning, from the age of five, six, you had that fire burning uh, inside you as just wanting to go to medical school and being a physician. Mm -hmm. And I know as you were in, in high school, in college, uh, just for you, having that passion, uh, studying everything uh, in the journey of being a physician was easier for you, uh, I'm sure. But I'm sure there's always been time where you, there were some difficulties, you felt some hardship. There, there's times that you walk in rooms where you felt not ready. And as you said, your stubbornness, your independency uh, pushed you uh, to really uh, keep fighting in those rooms until you find the seat <laughs> and then you sit around that table uh, just having these metaphors in my head but how did you what kept you pushing uh, whenever you're facing those big challenges uh, in these rooms what kept you pushing and uh, motivated you to stay in those rooms I mean that, that, that's that's a great question I think it maybe boils down to what what one expects, at least specific to medicine, right? I think it depends on what one sees in themselves that they think would make a good doctor. Um, so with medical training or pre-medical training, you know, there's so much about numbers, right? Like there's, it's so competitive that you just have to have the best grades, you have to have the best experiences, the best letter, the best story, the best um, test scores and, you know, research, all these sort of things, these accolades that you collect, all the awards, all the you know, designations and distinctions, excuse me. Um, and, you know, that wasn't necessarily me at every stage by any means. Um, but there was something in me that said, you know, that's not, that's not all that it means to be a doctor, right? Yeah. I, can, I can still look at myself and say, yeah, I can do that. Like, I, I can definitely do that. I can absolutely be a good doctor, um, you know, despite what um, you see on my application, despite what's on paper, right? If you meet me, if you talk to me, and if 
you know, you challenge me and you give me an opportunity. I think, I think I can, I can do it. Um, and that is definitely probably what kept me going. Um, even in moments where, you know, I kind of, you know, everybody compares themselves, right? Yeah. Um, so even in moments That's what where society felt, brings. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there were definitely moments where I was like, oh, okay, you know, maybe I'm not quite where I want to be. Um, but I still felt like I could, I could do the job. Um, and I felt at the very least that I can at least try. And again, it goes kind of back to God. God, if you're going to give me this desire to be a doctor, right? And if you're going to let me get this far, you know, it, it can't be for nothing, right? Oh, There's got to be some door open at the end that, you know, that, uh, that makes this all make sense, right? And I was really counting on that like i was really really counting on it because if that were the case then goodness i should have become an investment banker or a teacher or a manager you know anything else anything else um wow. so yeah I, it, <laughs> I guess it worked out <laughs> definitely no definitely that's powerful that's powerful and so there are so many uh young black queens out there who has the potential of the Kamala Harris, who has the potential of the Dr. Ogundele, right? There are so many people out there who have the potential of being CEO of 1,500 companies, uh, engineers of big companies out there. Unfortunately though, uh, in many communities, those girls are not giving uh, the kind of exposure they need, right? Or the kind of confidence, people are not inserting the kind of confidence they need to tell them that, you're gonna be successful at this, or at least just tell them this is also an option. Yeah. How do absolutely. you feel like we can improve that? Like, if if a young girl can listen to you right now, what would you tell them? You know, I would tell them, um, you know, picture your life and tell yourself what you want from it. Create your own outcomes, right? I know that sounds very like fluffy and 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 sort of that, but. I don't know, sit down and picture what you want out of life and what that would look like. It's real. It's real though. Yeah, right. Right. Decide what you want and then just go get it. Do take the steps to go and get it. And you would be so surprised. Again, it's not, you know, like like sometimes Africans say, like, the people that are doing it, they don't have two heads, right? Like you are also <laughs> just as capable as anybody else that has yeah. done it or will ever do it. And so if you just make the decision for yourself that it's worth it to you, right? Because that's, that's the caveat. It has to be worth it to you. You know, the sacrifice, the time, the investment, whatever it happens to be, it has to be worth it to you. Wow. And if that's the case and you want it, then keep going. You know, at the very, very least, you'll be able to say like, I tried really, really hard and maybe it didn't work out, but I found something else that I'm just as passionate about it or I'm happy with. Or you know, you actually end up meeting that goal. And it's really wow. just because you, you, it, it was an idea. Every single thing is just an idea, right? And I think that's why mentoring is so important. Visibility is so important. You know, when it comes to people that have kind of achieved those things, the power of suggestion is incredible, right? If someone had sat down and, you know, and told me, oh, you wanna be a doctor? maybe you should consider this specialty and just left it there right um i mean i'm sure i would have gone and looked it up and said huh okay hmm, okay you know and then yeah. all of a sudden that can build into 
whatever snowball it's destined to you know to build into but again it starts with an it starts with an idea um and and then just not really taking no for an answer if it means that wow. much to you, then it's absolutely possible absolutely possible that is powerful that is so powerful man and th that saying that you just said uh that's definitely an african saying <laughs> i heard that so many times do they have two heads <laughs> my, my, right? my, my dad have told me that so many times so <laughs> definitely that i mean it everybody the people that do amazing things definitely they they were you at one point right they yes. just have some kind of combination and they were able to focus on that thing that they just worked on for years and then perfected uh, to yes. make it better so yes. uh, there's nothing that that can stop you uh beside you to to go and do, get that done also yep absolutely absolutely so you are nearing uh to graduation right now and uh, becoming a starting your fellowship as a physician mm -hmm. and you are still very young what are some fun things uh, that that you are that you do uh, uh, outside of uh, outside of work wow I mean, that, that, that's a good question um so me particularly i'm a homebody right and i think after there's something about medical school that kind of makes it hard to tell people what your hobbies are because they you just don't really have them anymore right yeah. like if you ask some of my co-residents they might you know some of them might come up with something kind of interesting like oh i like to go fishing or hiking but if you ask me i'll just say well i like to sleep <laughs> i like to just catch <laughs> up on sleep <laughs> you know yeah. um but what's really interesting I've, I've recently gotten into um amateur uh voice artistry Mm. right uh, wow. just something very very random you know with with covid and all the restrictions on residency interviewing right because we usually you know invite applicants med school applicants to come to our program take a tour like have interviews we've had to do everything remotely and online and so we created a video of baltimore just so people kind of know what it's like to live here and i volunteered to narrate it you know, and a couple of people are like, oh, okay, you're pretty good at this. And I was like, hmm, side hustle? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, yeah. And yeah, I just recently started it. Uh, my husband's been basically producing and managing me <laughs> for the past few weeks. And uh, it's been really fun. Just something wow. I never really thought I would, I would do, but it's, it's, it's actually kind of fun. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Man. So being a physician, I, I, I truly believe is one of the most honorable job uh, in the world, right? Uh, beside everything else, it is something that will always bring you happiness. Uh, I, I, I know there are people who are unhappy about uh, their job out there as a physician, but generally just the idea of helping people, right? The idea of being able to do for others, make people happy, improve the lives of others, right? Mm -hmm. It just makes you happy. Yeah. What? as you are starting this career as you start in full and the next year what what uh makes you rise every day and go chase your dream as a physician oh wow um i don't know just that idea of completion wow. which isn't real <laughs> right you're never really done we call this you know lifelong learning right especially with medicine because you have to keep up with everything no matter how many years 
um, you've been out of training. But I think just that, that idea of doing what I do super, super duper well right i want to be able to just pick one thing and people can point to me and say yeah she does that one thing really 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 well wow. right and um yeah i think i think that's definitely definitely inspired me um again the idea that when you start out on a path you just finish it right um and ideally maybe this is <laughs> sort of the the african or uh nigerian part coming out but you know, when you when you start on a project or when you start on something, just go just go an extra mile. You know, we're we're the types. Oh, you finished high school, okay. Tell me about college. Oh, you finished college, okay. Tell me about professional yeah. school. Oh, you finished professional school. Oh, tell me about your PhD or your you know, your fellowship this or your grant that. Like it never it, it just never really ends. Yeah. Or sometimes they just say, When are you gonna get a job now? <laughs> you need to get out of school. That's where I'm at. Where, when does the job come? <laughs> yeah, when, when are you going to see your money now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, to be continued. Um, but, but yeah, just, just, I think it'll be nice to just con constantly have something else in front to achieve. And as long as that achievement is going to make me a better person or a better um you know, wife or friend or daughter or, you know, anesthesiologist, like, yeah, absolutely. You know, whether that's taking classes, you know, on medical Spanish, you know, something that I hope to do one day or, you know, building a clinic in Nigeria, just, I mean, there's always something, something cool you can do that allows growth and um, gives fulfillment. Uh, so, so yeah, there's there's always going to be something else to to achieve and to experience. So yeah, that's definitely what kind of keeps me going. That is powerful. That is powerful, man. I'm so excited for you. I, I, you are so amazing. You are definitely an inspiration to so many people. And I just uh, I feel like I hope uh, this platform can serve just to put your story out there for someone a younger person to just hear your story. And one thing that I always try to imagine is how can we build a platform out there to, to show young people that there are people like you out here uh, in these minority spaces where we are not so many, right? And just motivate them to believe that these places are also options for them to work in. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm so proud of you and uh, oh, definitely you. a motivation <laughs> for, and I really wish you the best of luck. Uh, thank, thank you so you. much for, for giving me your time. It was, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me on. This was, this was awesome. I made the black queen's grace continually mesmerize the millions who couldn't see it when looking into her eyes. And the black man's plight no longer be the disguise. Oppression, emasculation, they want to castracize it. I just want to be me. I just want to be free. I just want liberty, equity, and democracy. I just want to believe in the good of society. I just want to believe that they ain't been lying to me. I want equality. Want no more poverty. I want people to tell you it's more black people in jail for committing crimes. The blacks and whites are committing equally. I want the corporate interest to crumble before my feet. I want them to stop selling your rights to powers that be. I want a third term for Obama we'll never see. No Democrat, no Republican, me, I want unity. I want the righteous voice speaking to my community. Don't listen to what they say and look at what they say to see I want you to know the truth, but for that you will have to see All people are beautiful, but you best know my people are beautiful